Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We have a special guest with us today, and we have a lot to learn from him, is what I think, based off of my initial conversations <laughs> with him. So I'm excited, and I will let Darren introduce himself. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool opportunity. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we made it happen. Yes. Yeah, so like she mentioned, my name is Darren. I work right now for a communication strategy agency called KGNA. Uh, Boutique agency, we focus specifically on sustainable city building and urban design and development, mostly focused in Toronto, but we do a lot of work in the States as well as the broader GTA too. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate to have quite a cool range of different jobs. I guess I can maybe start back from kind of back to uni. I've always been interested in sustainability, but also just broader impact work. And that takes, you know, a lot of different lenses. Mm -hmm. All this stuff is very much interconnected. I think probably one of the most inspiring things I was able to do when I was younger, which was still when I was in university, I had an opportunity to work one summer in Johannesburg in South Africa mm -hmm. through a work placement that was facilitated through Dissotel at McGill, which is where I went. Um, and I was working, I was doing some consulting work for local social enterprise there, mm -hmm. which was very, very cool just to, to get embedded in like, you know, I'd never been there before, yeah. totally new opportunity, just to dive into something. I was what, like 20? I didn't really know what I was doing. World citizen. <laughs> but um, yeah, like being able to, and I can give a bit more background about that uh, social enterprise. It's called the Experience Factory, and they had the specific mission around uh, addressing the graduate unemployment gap in Johannesburg and nice. the surrounding areas, because there's a very interesting kind of like market dynamic there where a lot of people actually do end up going to university mm -hmm. or other academic institutions, but there's a huge disconnect between them then getting, you know, professional experience and professional opportunities. And a lot of that stems from, you know, the historic racism and apartheid in South Africa, mm -hmm. where there's not that kind of, you know, if you come from a more like white collar upper class background, you're going to have these professional opportunities, even just like very basic stuff, like knowing how to write a cover letter or like mm -hmm. how to prepare for an interview. But if you're from like one of the townships, except Johannesburg, which are very, a lot of them very heavily impoverished, you're not going to have those opportunities. So essentially what the social enterprise I was working with was like addressing that gap. And then the weird thing too, the kind of irony to it is that there's actually a huge labor shortage. Mm. So it's like, okay, opportunity, you have like this supply and demand, but there's a mismatch in terms of those connections and making right. it happen. I was down there for, for a few months working with them, which was really cool. I've had opportunities to work in one of the impact spaces. I worked in a consulting capacity mm -hmm. for... Um, They've rebranded a bunch of times. At the time, it was it was facilitated through UBC, actually. Oh, cool. At the Sauter School of Business. At the time, it was called Social Impact Academy. I was able to work with a range of social impact organizations across, mostly Canadian-centric, yeah. um, and was able to do a bunch of different um, kind of portfolios around whether it was like investment strategy, like marketing communications, like some supply chain stuff, mm -hmm. uh, branding, what have it. Um, so that was really cool, too, and I think... That just, you know, the more I, I did around like impact focused work, I thought like, you know, this, this is stuff I care about. This is stuff I'm passionate about. And it, I think the more you're able to do, then the more opportunities you see, because I think it can be hard, you know, what we we're talking about earlier in terms of like mm -hmm. in school, a lot of, you know, more traditional career paths are the Absolutely. ones that are much more accessible. They have really good resourcing around like career counseling or like opportunities or, you know, all the, the banks or the consulting firms are coming in to do these presentations. Yeah. but 
Um, and and that's obviously super helpful if you're more interested in that stuff. I never found that as inspiring. I think the more just like put yourself out there mm-hmm, and just absolutely. go to all like the random opportunities. Like the only th- reason I was able to find out about the thing in Johannesburg is because I just saw it like at the bottom of some newsletter. Right. And then like all the other stuff, whether it's just through going to random workshops or talks or just, you know, reaching out to people, yeah, meet people. in the space. That's that's definitely a good way to go about it. And then um, so that was all kind of doing uni. I also had an opportunity. I did an exchange semester in Hong Kong. It was working part time for a social enterprise locally there, which was doing some really interesting work around the exploitation, addressing the exploitation of domestic workers in Hong Kong, mm. because there's a lot of, you know, domestic workers that come from primarily the Philippines or Indonesia or even sometimes in East Africa yeah. that come to Hong Kong. And there's a lot of illicit agencies that exploit them in mm-hmm. that transition period. To your point, like having like a global context, I think is really, really important. And also just having, I think, too, like the humility to be like, hey, like, I don't know everything. Yeah. And like the more places you go and see, the more you realize that you don't know. <laughs> but you, more at the same time, the more you realize like how much all this stuff is interconnected. So it's almost like a weird duality there. And then I was kind of, you know, thrust into politics kind of, you know, just through through an opportunity, again, to my point about like, just just going for it. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't like intending to leave the, the think tank I was working at, but there was an opportunity with the provincial Green Party. Um, and cool. it was like a year and a half out from the election. So I was like, it's mm-hmm. good timing. Yeah. Like I'd never worked in politics before. I'd always been, you know, all the stuff I'd been doing is all very much politically adjacent. And mm-hmm. I'd been like, you know, very much interested in politics and, and public policy. But yeah. I never intended on working for a political party in a partisan standpoint, but it would, you know, seemed like a very cool opportunity yeah, to dive into timing with the election. I was able to take on a fairly, fairly senior and significant role given like the size of the organization, which right. I think is, you know, another thing I think I would recommend if you have the opportunities. I mean, different things work for different people. I yeah. personally have always been more inclined to work for smaller organizations, mm-hmm. mostly because it's, you know, you end up getting opportunities and around impact that you wouldn't have, I think, in a lot of bigger places. So I've yeah. been very fortunate that I've been able to do a lot of really cool things that are probably beyond the scope that I would have at maybe in a more solid role at a bigger organization. And I think you also have more opportunity to grow your scope of Absolutely. work. It's like you come in with a certain portfolio, but then it's like, hey, I want to do more of this. I want to, you know, build in these areas. So um, that's definitely something I would recommend to our, our listeners Absolutely. if you have the opportunity again i i know for you for example you've worked with a bigger organization so mm-hmm. maybe you have different views and i think there's some there's benefit there's pros and cons to both yeah i just have personally found that like i don't think there's any way i would have had the opportunities for like growth and impact that i had if i was working in a bigger organization but Absolutely. i don't know i have because i haven't i haven't if I was to replay my life, it would be different, but... Yeah, uh, maybe, but... Yeah. That's fair. I think when you wear a lot of different hats, which happens in a smaller organization, yeah, that's how sure. you learn, because maybe you have more responsibilities or you have different responsibilities than what you were expecting, but that's how you grow, and you don't stay stagnant in your role, and you can't really do that in a bigger corporation. I do agree. Yeah, and I think also just being able to, like, navigate the chaos a little bit, yeah. I think, is a good skill to have when you're younger, and being able to, you know kind of roll with the punches a bit Absolutely. and be and be nimble and be be a bit scrappy and I think you know I actually that's one thing I do think like the Gen Z per se is actually very good at I mm. think you know if we consider ourselves Gen Z we do <laughs> older, older Gen Z's I think you know it's people are people are scrappy like they're, yeah. they're down to 
to do what they need to do to get it done, which I think mm-hmm. is quite cool. I think we have a quite an entrepreneurial generation, which is which is exciting. It's nice and good to see. But yeah, I mean, I think the more you can just throw yourself into things, do all the different opportunities you you can, again, the better. I'm definitely interested in your experience with the Green Party because yeah. that's just that is very unique, and I feel like yeah. being able to go in and maybe wear a hat where you didn't realize you'd have as much responsibility as you did yeah. to create change is very cool. And so I want to know a little bit more about that. And I think for people that are listening, sometimes understanding what careers and sustainability or protecting our planet in different ways looks like is a lot. It's it's a lot easier than people think. They think it's just these silos of like, right. this is you have to get into this and that's how you get there. But as I've spoken to different guests, there's different walks of life. And then all of a sudden you yeah. are integrated into no, something sure. that matters. So yeah, we'll love I mean, that. yeah, I mean, the way I see it, I think it's like when you're approaching careers, okay, what are what are the kind of things I want to tackle and address? Yeah. Um, ideally for, for good. And it's like, what are the different like avenues and channels I can do that through? And I think if you're people take like different guiding principles, that's the one I've always had is like, these are the things I want to do. And then within that, I'm going to explore the different like avenues I can do that. So like, you know, I've worked for like social enterprises, like think tanks in politics and now in like more an agency environment, which are all very different yes. avenues and vehicles to accomplish, you know, different areas within, you know, broader impact work, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the political side of things, like I said, it wasn't something I was necessarily like planning on. But in terms of, you know, having the the opportunity to work for a political party doing like an election campaign and have like a lot of responsibility thrust on me at a at a fairly young age was was very very cool and I think you just gotta kind of get thrown into the fire a bit to figure it out like I remember before I was starting I was like doing all this prep and like research and stuff and is of course it's like helpful yeah um but then you know some of like my advisors that I was kind of talking with like you're, the only way you can figure stuff out is just by doing it yeah <laughs> like, it's really Truly. like the more you do the more you realize like. You just got to do it. Like, you just got to. I agree. <laughs> you just got to go for it. Um, and I think what was w- really interesting working in politics, obviously, you're surrounded by a lot of like power and foreign influential people. So, I was working at Queen's Park, but then also doing a lot of campaigning around the province. So, I was able to see a lot of, you know, places that I normally wouldn't naturally end up in. Like, you know, you're doing these road trips out in our green branded. EV mm-hmm. out to, you know, very small towns that, you know, I would otherwise really have no business being in, yeah. which was very cool. Absolutely. And just like seeing the different realities of that and challenges that people are facing. Mm-hmm. I think even to your point, you know, about kind of global context and understanding those things, it's also local too, right? Like yep. someone that's living in downtown Toronto has a completely different reality than someone who's living in like Barrie or Sudbury or North right. Bay or even like further up in like indigenous communities. Like these are all very different realities and you really have to understand what different places and communities are going through to like adequately address them from a policy perspective. So for me, that was quite eye opening too, because it's like very different worlds when you're in different parts of the province, um, let alone different countries. So um, definitely the more, I think the more opportunities you have, and that's something that's cool too about my job right now is I get to, to go to a lot of places that otherwise I wouldn't be going and just see, see a lot of stuff. Keeps me going with a insatiable need for curiosity <laughs> no that's really good and I, th- I think that's a really good point because I definitely thought about the world view that you might have because you've been to th- these different places but even being in Toronto and sometimes you just think this is the life everyone's living if you're yeah. living in Canada is a very kind of like one way to look at things because it's not true everyone definitely has a different reality and, and they're living in spaces that have different needs right so mm-hmm. knowing that and understanding that is a, also a really important perspective yeah. And I think just being like 
I was kind of saying this before, but just like coming from a place of like listening and learning, I think is really important. Like I remember yeah. when I went down to Johannesburg, I was literally like, I'm just not going to say anything for the first like week. It's like I have <laughs> I nothing <laughs> to contribute yeah. at that point, really. Yeah. Like I have like, I guess my natural skills and like background and knowledge, but what do I know about the realities of people living in townships outside of Johannesburg? Like nothing. Absolutely. Like nothing. That's I can fair. read I can read all the books I want about it, but like you don't you don't know. Until you talk to people and you just immerse and embed yourself. Yeah. Um and I think that's actually one really cool thing about the agency I'm working at now is there's a, a big, really big focus around like discovery and learning. So whenever we're developing strategies for clients, it's just like the first thing we do is literally just do a ton, we call it like download calls. And you're mm-hmm. basically just like sitting and learning and just asking a bunch of questions, but mm-hmm. you're really mostly letting them do the talking. And with all the relevant people in an organization or in a project or in whatever we're doing, and then it's, you know, you then you can take that and start, you know, Absolutely. building out your strategies and your recommendations. But without that, like, you can't just like come in and be like, hey, this is, you know what to do, because you don't. And that, you know. I feel like that's so easy for people to do because there are subject matter experts and they're like, for sure. this is what I do. But that being said, there's still so much to learn because I feel like we're in a stage of life where in society, at, at least, we're still learning. There's a lot that we don't know. And, and everything is changing so fast. Every, everything is changing. Like and the so, rate of, you know, around like technology or yeah. you know, if you're just looking at like clean tech and climate tech, like it's crazy. It's different. It's crazy. So things that are constantly progressing and yes, you're learning as you go, yeah. like, there's still always going to be more out there. And I think that's a very good way of thinking because it's going to be hard if you think you're just, you know, it all, there's no, so much exactly. out there. And like the more, I think people have maybe more of that mentality when they're younger around like learning. And then I think a lot of people, maybe they drop off a little bit cause they get a bit too comfortable and a bit too, um, you know, self-assured, but I think it's important to, you know, have like little reminders every once in a while. It's like, oh, maybe I don't know everything. And then it's like, and I think, you know, anything to do around re-education or training, I think is important too. Yeah. Because the current way everything's set up, it's like you go to university and then now you're good and then you go. But, you know, like, for example, it's really cool. Like you're going to do a, a master's. Yeah. Trying to get a little bit more educated really yeah, is the goal. Because which is it, cool. Yeah. I, I came from an accounting background and I feel like having that was was cool because accounting, there's, you know, these are the rules. This is how it is. And yeah. not that that's not interesting, but it was very much there's a solution to things and you can look at it from a very like this, these are the rules. These are the guidelines. Whereas with sustainability, which I'm more in now, a lot of things changing all the time. Regulations mm-hmm. are changing. Standards are changing. So knowing that those are always different and we have to keep up to date for our clients, but also our solutions are going to look different all yeah. the time. I'm realizing like you have to keep up with that, too. Yeah. So is, is there any like uh, internal education things or like yeah. accreditation or like anything? There's a couple of certificates out there, depending on what kind of like if you're working in climate risk modeling, for example, yeah. there's a couple certificates in that. I think a lot of our learning is, at least in my experience on my teams, is we're doing a lot of webinars, international webinars we're participating in, conferences that we're participating nice. in, and also just having conversations with people in our you know, regular accounting teams because yeah. they have direct access into our clients and seeing what is important to them. And with regulations coming out, we're participating in those conversations. So I feel like that's how we're upscaling ourselves. And it definitely is a team effort because every time something comes out, it's not just me who doesn't know, it's everyone. So yeah, there's a very big push to get that training in. Uh, yeah. And I think your point about like attending like workshops, mm-hmm. or, like panels, any, any of that stuff that you can do, I think is really good. And you're, you're going to get exposed to new ideas and new ways of thinking 
bits, like obviously the stuff that's like directly relevant, but mm-hmm. then there's a lot, you know, like we've been saying, like all this stuff is interconnected, right? So yeah. the more you can just learn about, and then you start connecting the dots between different things. Like yeah. that was something I had a bit of like, I don't know if I call it epiphany, but like realization around when I was working with the provincial green party is like, obviously, you know, it's green party, we're environmentally focused as kind of the driving force, but the connection between all of that with, you know, equity and health mm-hmm. and urban design and, you know, how we build our cities and housing and addressing education, all these things are interconnected. Yeah. And you can't, you really can't look at them in silos. And that's when I got really big into the whole kind of like sustainable, sustainable city building kind of movement per se, um, because it literally connects, for me at least, all these different kind of policy areas that I'm interested in, in terms of, you know, sustainability and environmental progress, equity, healthcare, housing, all these things are like interconnected in how we design our cities. I'm just like a huge like, urbanist in terms I just like love cities like I think they're so cool and when we do it right it's like fascinating right so I was like oh this is amazing like I literally love just like walking around new cities and exploring and being like oh this is cool they have it like designed this way they did this um so I think the more the more different things you can do the more you can start um kind of connecting the dots and everyone's going to connect the dots in different ways yeah but I think people would be shocked at how interconnected different things are that they might like they might have people might have like two very seemingly diverse and like polar opposite like interest areas mm-hmm. but like I almost assure you there's a connection there somewhere connection, there's yeah. going to be someone doing that niche somewhere absolutely um and once you can tap into it then you're like whoa super cool right and once you find like you know that first organization that's doing it then you talk to them and you realize there's a bunch of other ones doing similar things but initially like, even if I just think of, like, the type of places I'm interested in working at and working with, like, the type of organizations, like, mm-hmm. I would have no idea they even existed yeah. when I was, like, 17, 18. But then once you just start going to all these different things and start working and start doing things and connecting with people, um, you're like, okay, there's a lot, a lot of cool stuff out there. Yeah, it's really networking and uh, finding the right people to chat with because I, I feel like there's almost an element of sustainability in, in a lot of my friends and coworkers' jobs now and maybe not something they even expected when they were going to school for it but now yeah. it's like it's everywhere so there there are considerations to be made for basically any field and every job now I am interested to, to dive in deeper into how you got into all of this I know yeah. you said there was like applications and things like that but I think your path is a little bit more non-traditional yes. in the sense that it's not like <laughs> A, B, and C I also feel like it, it's a little bit different from mine where I was an accountant, or I am. I yeah. had one, I got my certificate, and then they said, okay, here's an opportunity to do it in sustainability. And yeah. that's really cool, but that wasn't, that part was just kind of like a new add-on. Everything else was kind of like, you go to business school yeah. and you get your CPA. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was in business school too, technically at Dissetel at McGill. Nice. I did a like very intentionally by design, like more artsy degree. I did a lot of economics and political science mm-hmm. as well. I did all the kind of classic business classes I was required to, but also just, I think as well, when I was at uni, I made a point of doing all the kind of like extracurricular things. I did, I did a lot of like case competitions. Yeah. You probably did the same. I did. Which is cool. Um, you know, just going, like the opportunity in Johannesburg that was like facilitated through through Dissital and just doing like a lot of those kind of things yeah. is very cool. And that's what universities are for. That's really what you're paying for is those, like, yes, the education, but it's like the access to opportunities, access to interesting people, yep. to like, I can't tell you how many random, 
speaker panel session things I would go to. Yeah, or even too. like seem like I remember I went to one. It was like the Asian Development Bank, and mm. it's like I had no direct interest in working in like a more like technical space like that. But I was just like curious. I was like, I don't know, like yeah. what's going on. It's going on over there. Like I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then like a few months later, I was in Hong Kong. So it all kind of all kind of <laughs> works out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of path, like I mean, a lot of it was facilitated through just applying for stuff. A lot of people disagree with me around my application approach, but I think if you just like apply to a bunch of stuff, it's gonna work out. And the numbers. Literally. Yeah. Literally. And like you gotta be like a bit shameless, and you mm. also gotta be non-egotistical because it literally doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you get rejected from stuff <laughs> just apply to the, all the things yeah. it's really not that hard once you get and i think companies are starting to get better around recruitment in terms of like less require cover letters mm -hmm. less require you know when you have to fill out like the online f submission forms it's yeah. just like arduous but that's always been my approach mm -hmm. is like just like mass apply mass apply like it, it works yeah. <laughs> um obviously you know Doing things through through connections is mm -hmm. super helpful. Yeah, but um, yeah, I also kind of almost feel I'm like you should take advantage of these opportunities for yeah. sure. But I almost feel like you're limiting yourself a little bit if you do that because yeah. there's going to be other stuff outside of your network, whether right. it's through like your family or through friends or through school um, that's out there. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's definitely helpful helpful to leverage your your network for sure. But in terms of approach, I think just Seeing what's out there, going through, like, there's a bunch of, like, really good, um, I give some shout-outs, Policy Jobs mm. TO is a really good newsletter that I always suggest to anyone kind of interested in. It's policy-focused, but more broadly, like, nonprofit impact. Right. Um, anything around that, um, government work, what have you. It's a really good resource. There's, like, really good resources. Um, what's it called? GoodWorks um, is a job platform that I've used and I recommend always mm -hmm. to people. It's specifically around sustainability and environment jobs nice. uh, in Canada. There's another one called Charity Village, which is specifically centered around nonprofit and charity work, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so like these resources exist, they're just not, and then obviously like LinkedIn's great, but uh, <laughs> you gotta it's get a bit outside the box because sometimes, you know, it's not, it's not obvious and it's not right in your face. You yeah. gotta, you gotta do a bit of digging. Like you gotta put in the work. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta be a bit, scrappy and uh entrepreneurial in that sense absolutely i think these job boards are definitely interesting there's there's a couple of one focused on green jobs for international works as well yeah maybe i'll plug that later on but these are helpful because not only do you get to see what what people are recruiting for but you really get to understand what green jobs even mean like if you're yeah, supporting no, this sure. stuff sometimes people are like oh you're an analyst or you're an auditor but what what does that work actually look like what are the expectations yeah. and all of that's really listed out so you can get a view of and get a sense of uh what it is that you actually could be a part of yeah yeah and the more the more you see the more you see like truly you're you're not gonna learn without kind of just like throwing yourself in there and then it's just like talking to people yeah. like literally just i don't know i can't tell you how many people have like cold message on linkedin just like hey can i like <laughs> talk to you for like half an hour <laughs> and then even if I have no interest in working there yeah. or I probably I might but it's not like I'm applying for a job right. people also appreciate that more because they like he's like oh I'm genuinely interested in what you're doing yeah and then they're like sure like if someone reaches out to me I'm like almost more inclined to talk to them if it's not about like a specific position it's more just like general yeah learning get to know Jared and then after that it's like oh okay now there's like an opportunity down the line right from that like 
connection, both works. But I've always kind of taken that approach where it's like, oh, doing cool thing, like let's talk (laughs) yeah yeah no for sure and I I like that I feel like that approach a lot of students like Gen Z is really into yeah they I get so many coffee chat requests oh yeah it's cool to to see that there's people that are interested whether they have educational background in it or not and yeah like I just want to chat I know recently with the weather and the changes in climate people are like noticing it more and they're like there's more of a sense of urgency and I'm like okay well we can chat this is a thing where it's like you know, we've known about this stuff for a long time. Right. Like, we've really, we really have. But it's so abstract and it's so complex mm-hmm. for people to understand that, like, impact day to day. If you're talking about, like, the super high level, like, climate science, IPCC report stuff, mm-hmm. like, what does the average person care? Like, you got to distill that. Right. And, like, make it tangible and relatable to, like, people's everyday life. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the challenge that the like green movement per se Mm -hmm. has had is around like the communicating of it. But it's like, how do you make this like incredibly complex, abstract scientific stuff, tangible and relatable to people's lives? And it's hard. Um, I mean, kind of, it is very unfortunate, but like to your point, I think people are starting to realize Mm -hmm. in the past years and it's only going to escalate, you know, it's like we just had those like mass floods and Brooklyn, like, yes, all these things happening around the world with fires, flooding, you know, there's literally islands in the Pacific Ocean that are sinking. Like, it's terrifying. Right. It's horrifying. But for a lot of people, if there's not like a localized impact, they're not going to realize. And a lot of it is connecting the dots. And that's a lot of what we were doing, what I was doing with the Ontario Greens is like, how do we relate day to day struggles that people are having and frustrations with like climate? Right. right. And it's like, Absolutely. well, a lot of this stuff overlaps and reinforces each other. So it's like, oh, you don't like, like, gas is super expensive. You don't like driving all across the province just to go to work. Like, mm-hmm. what if we designed more pedestrianized and accessible and connected communities to allow you to do that? Which is like the main thing. And it's like, oh, it's also going to help address climate change right or you know anything even like the cost of groceries supply chain this stuff is all interconnected health air quality um so once you like dis- or even stuff around like um renewables and energy right mm-hmm. and like the cost related to that like renewables are uh, i know there's challenges around like uh in terms of like the grid and like storage but in terms of a like cost standpoint, renewables are far cheaper than mm-hmm. any other kind, and then they're gonna get keep getting cheaper. Like it's absurd. Like the cost of wind and solar is plummeting, yeah, astronomically, um, and that obviously links to like cost of living and like the broader economy. So I think like you really gotta spell it out for people, yeah, because people don't have time in their day to day life to go through the IPCC report. This is true. I think that's the main challenge historically. That, right. You know the. I don't want to call it a movement, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. I do. I think this is a good segue into donut economics. Oh, beautiful. I love it. Let's. Just thinking about Timmy's donuts, but um, <laughs> that's okay. I would love to, I'm sure the audience would also love to learn more about what donut economics means and what that entails. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Obviously, there's so many different, like, growth models and, like, theories around, you know, this is not a new thing yeah. for a long time. There's been debates around how do you like grow and how, you know, there's this inherent tension between like a growth centered economy right. and the planetary boundaries that we face. This idea of donut economics, Kate uh, Raworth, who's a, I think she's a prof 
in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, super, super smart, obviously. And it's basically this idea that the term donut is because there's like, she models it out. It's a very cool visualization. Um, essentially, on the outer limits, you have the planetary boundaries, mm-hmm. right? So how much can the planet actually take? And I, I'm sure everyone's seen those, like, if everyone lived, like, in North America, we need, like, 7.5 Earths to sustain us, like, all yep. these things, which is terrifying. And I'm sure everyone's aware in terms of, like, the the challenges that we're going to continue facing if we keep, you know, keep with the status quo yeah. around, you know, greenhouse emissions and around biodiversity loss and around ocean acidification and around overfishing, all these things that are very much interconnected. So she basically has this model that on the outer limits, it's like the planetary boundaries, and on the inner limits, it's around like, okay, what are the core base things we need to sustain humanity and our cities and our societies, not just from basic needs and like things we need. And then in between those two things, there's a sweet spot, which is the donut. And that's essentially all these different approaches and methods to it. So how do we exist within that sweet spot? Because currently we're like way overshot. Astronomically so. <laughs> right. <laughs> a lot of discussion recently around the idea of like growth. Like what does like growth mean? Yeah. Like we have a growth centered economy, um, which is based around, you know, GDP being like a key metric, which really actually makes like no sense <laughs> when you boil it down. And, you know, there's been a whole like degrowth movement too, right. which is interesting. Kate Raworth would say we should be agnostic about growth, which is kind of another take. So it's gonna be interesting to see I remember, like, even when I was working with, like, the provincial greens, some of the policy proposals, we had to, like, scale back a little bit because we're talking about fundamental mm-hmm. reimagination of society a little right. bit. But you have to start somewhere. And that's why it's, like, cool to see stuff on the ground day to day. Absolutely. All the different, like, there's so many, like, cool social enterprises, climate startups, clean tech mm-hmm. um, that we're starting to see more and more of locally. I think Canada could do a lot better at that, to be honest. But I think there's starting to be a shift. A lot of that comes from the policy like level around like funding. I mean, we subsidize the oil and gas industry. Yeah, yeah. To an absurd true. degree. This is true. And there's a lot of money that could be going towards supporting like local startups and stuff around that. Hopefully, we uh, we start to see more of a shift around yeah. that because there's so much innovation and talent in in Canada and in Toronto. Like it's crazy, and like more and more of these people, you know immigrants coming in who have so much talent, so much skill set, mm-hmm. are wanting to to contribute, but then there's like gaps and there's barriers to being able to make that happen. So a lot of it's around unlocking the financing, providing the supports to get that off the ground, you know, working, you know, the, the ecosystem around this stuff is, is so broad and so vast and having those different stakeholders, because it's, it's everyone, right? It's like you need government involvement, you need private sector, you need nonprofit sector, you need Social enterprise sector, you need community groups, you need, you know, all these accelerators, you need academic institutions. It's like a full, it's very much like a team effort. So it can't be happening like in isolation and and, in silos. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's also a misconception that people have like, oh, corporations are the only ones that need to change what they're doing. And like, these are, this is what I'm going to hold accountable. But there's so many players in this. Yeah. And there's also so many factors, which I think people are starting to realize that it might not necessarily just be, okay, this is one issue, and it's like factors A, B, and C. There's actually a million other things happening that contribute to it. And you you can't just think of it as one thing because there's a lot of other components to consider as well. No, for sure. I mean, and again, it's 
once you start exploring this stuff, it gets more and more complex. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's very daunting, but it's also like huge opportunity to kind of reimagine a lot of status quo operations at all levels, you mm -hmm. know, from the way you design the cities to the way we, like what you're doing in terms of like compliance um, to the way that like, you know, we, from like system levels and, and policy levels too. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious from your end, are you seeing, like what are the kind of main trends you're seeing from the clients you're working with? Like my understanding is that, you know, a lot of like the ESG, on the more corporate side, yeah. like in terms of like ESG and compliance, a lot of it is, uh, sort of mandated, but then it's also like interesting because it's a competitive advantage now, right? And like yes. that's, I think, a shift we've seen. And this is why it's like interesting. It's like the court of public opinion, right? Because it's like, yep. you can regulate as much as you want, but a lot of the pressure is going to come from like individuals. And that's why I think that's going to be more and more of that because people mm -hmm. are starting to realize, you know, to a point about like all the direct and localized impacts that Absolutely. are just going to continue accelerating. So I'm curious to hear what you're seeing. Yeah. So I think in, in terms of North America, it's it's slowly there, you know. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a little bit behind European standards because yeah. Yeah, yeah. Europe's just they're going nuts over there with this stuff. Whereas in Canada and America, they're starting to become regulations for yeah. companies, especially public companies, to start reporting on things so that investors and and public stakeholders can hold them accountable. Of course, you have companies and industries like mining, for example, that will always have their regulations because that that's just always been there. But companies like banks, what they invest in, um, real estate companies, things like that, what their operations are actually driving is now becoming something they have to report. Yeah. So knowing that and understanding that in a couple of years, we'll start seeing this information. You as a consumer can understand what your impact is when you invest or when you contribute to any of these companies. And I think that's interesting. It's definitely coming up, I would say, in like two or three years that companies will have to start actually yeah. looking at this. And at least there's a push for that because there's all these 2030 net zero goals out oh, there. Exactly, and it's yeah. like there needs to be some sort of push and there needs yeah. to be progression that's shown to stakeholders. Right. Yeah. Without that, you're just saying that you've done something. Yeah. Really What's well, hilarious to see, too, just like the different terms that it's like every few years, it's like, you know, right now it's like net zero is like all yeah. the buzz. ESG. It's a big one. Uh, you know, there's kind of like there's like sustainability where there's like green, like yeah. it's just a lot of it is like greenwashing. Um, and that's why we need the <laughs> the people like you doing the compliance stuff. Hold, which hold is them like, accountable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then like that plus, like we were saying, it's like a, a full like effort, right? It's like the more regulatory stuff. And then it's like the, you know, education, I think is a huge part. And yeah. this is where like the media, I think has a, a really big pull to, yes. role to play. And, Obviously, a lot of the work I do is uh, is related to uh, to media stuff, and like that kind of like court of public opinion, plus the more regulatory stuff, plus the policy, plus supporting you know mm -hmm. the organizations that are are doing the doing the work. Like that's that's what you need, and yeah, it's interesting to see. I think like th this generation now is a lot more aware. Yeah, um, absolutely. And they're you know, they're voting with their wallets. And in general, mm -hmm. it's like cool to see people making, whether it be like purchasing decisions or like investment decisions. Okay. And those two things are overlapped. Like a lot of the fastest growing areas in terms of investment is in like clean tech, is in yeah. um, climate startups or, or what have you, which is, which is cool. Because like for the longest time, there was like this disconnect. It was like, oh, it's like you're doing good. But like you're losing yeah. money, yeah. Which wasn't always really the case, but that's also just like any time 
there's a new like venture that's like how it works mm -hmm. whereas now it's like oh actually some of the most profitable companies in the world are centered around addressing climate change yeah um which is so now it's like you really have no excuse <laughs> like there's not really like uh you know the two are the two are aligned and a lot of like economic strategy at like the government level is going to be more and more i hope and i, I would imagine focused mm -hmm. on those sectors because it's like literally the fastest growing sector in the Absolutely, world yeah. because we have no choice and it's like this interesting dynamic between like when the whole like free market versus like more interventionist approaches it's like well it doesn't really matter because either way we need to do it because yeah. we're getting screwed yeah <laughs> so like yeah um like i don't know for me personally like most of my like investments are in like clean tech yeah. stocks because they do really well and that's not even i mean it is partly just because I care about that stuff. Yeah. But even if you took that part away, it's still like savvy finance. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's some I think there's like this a lot of the, a lot of its politics and, and lobbying, to be honest. But like it's still, I think, stuck in a lot of people's mind that like doing good per se equals unprofitable and expensive. Yeah. Which expensive is like fundamentally false. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, because I just I had know. a conversation with someone else who we're talking more on like the consumer level. Yeah. And I think the perception is things are just so expensive to do. But it's it's not. A lot of it's like cost saving measures when you do that for yourself. Oh, yeah. You're like, I don't know, just fast fashion with thrifting and recycled yeah. um, secondhand clothes. Not an expensive thing to do, but I think people equate sustainability to like, you have to invest a lot of money and I don't really want to care about that. Yeah. So. Well, the, the thing is, it used to be the case more, right? Because like technologies were newer. It's harder, yeah. And that's the same with any new like innovation yeah. or approach. That's like not unique to climate environment related stuff. But what you have to do is when there is, you know, certain things that might be a bit more expensive mm -hmm. in the longer term that will help. So like for example, and this is where like government can get involved is in terms of like subsidies or incentivizing people to like, you know, do like retrofits or mm -hmm. even just like this is particularly true in like more rural areas where they might not be as like connected to the grid, like solar panels on like roofs, for example. Yeah. You might be like, oh, it's so expensive, whatever. But in the long term, it's actually going to save you on your energy bill like significantly. It is. Um, I, yeah. And I know so. that there's companies that are getting green bonds and sustainability link loans from banks yeah. that are purposely investing in these. So it's not like they're, you know, they have to go out of their way to find this financing. It exists. Yeah. And, and the encouragement is there to integrate all of this whether it's green buildings led retrofits yeah. solar panels things like that and even just to your point around like fast fashion stuff it's like sure the t-shirt from h&m might be like ten dollars versus like thirty dollars but it's like it's gonna be useless in like six months in a Absolutely. Year. so you end up buying like a lot more stuff so it's like you're not actually saving money yeah truly like <laughs> just get like the one thing and then you know it's gonna last you longer. Absolutely, over over um, instead of overconsumption. Yeah, but a lot of that comes down to like marketing and, um, as well. I think just like there hasn't been an obligation either regulatorily or from like consumer mm -hmm. pressure for transparency around, and it's not just in terms of climate and emissions. It's also around like labor practices Absolutely. and like uh, supply chain things. But I think now there is like, mm -hmm. and it's pretty crazy to see and like exciting to see how it like affects people's like I'm sure you see all the time people like oh I'm not gonna get something from here because they 
but then it's also a lot of stuff you don't know so it's always a bit like you you only know as yeah. much as as is out there but it's i don't think like this is like this never used to be the case Absolutely. like there's a bit of like a seismic change societally mm-hmm. happening here where it's like people are you know it's not necessarily like boycotting people would call it like cancel culture but it's not really it's people making informed decisions and that's what you have, yeah. to, do. You have to present the information and let consumers make the choice as they should so you know it's also in like health things too right you know requiring like calorie counts on mm-hmm. you know things like that yeah yeah um, just transparency yeah really, or even consumers. on like if you look at flights now it will say like the climate emissions yeah which is new like, yeah you, they didn't used to do it so i think it's going to be more and more we're going to start seeing that like yeah i remember i was talking with uh, a former colleague like a little bit ago and i was like i wonder if like soon we're going to start seeing in the same way that there's like mandatory ingredients mm-hmm. and like health information on every like food packaging we're going to see the same thing around like climate emissions so it's yeah. like you literally get a shirt and on the tag it says like this is x amount of like carbon was used yeah, to make this product absolutely um because otherwise it's like how are you going to know um yeah and that stuff is like very technical and and hard to boil down but like if you can get it right i think and then so it's like if you're a shopper and then it's like this shirt and this shirt, they're like comparable. But this one used like three times the yeah. amount of like emissions. Like That's very true. Not going to want to. People are going to start voting with their wallets in that sense. So, yeah, um, I'm curious to see if that's I don't know, I'll pitch it to <laughs> let someone know because yeah. I love that. I think the idea of transparency between labeling that you're right. It like just like calorie counts or, or yeah, what's it, it seems the ingredients so in your food. It's like. Well, why not that too? It's, yeah, it's already happening for food in some way as well. Yeah, integrate that with yeah. everything else. But it is, you know, I am optimistic in the sense that, like, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about, like younger generation mm-hmm. and like, you know, priorities and just how, like, I think we're at a bit of a moment. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that. Yeah. Um. So it'd be cool to see. Also a bit scary, but uh, to see how things unfold over the, the coming decades. Because, yeah. like, I've I've been really inspired by my peers, but also younger people, too, yeah. around, like, what they're, what they're up to and, like, what they're, what they care about and the things they want to do. I think there's, more than before, there's, like, a kind of an effort to, to do things a bit differently. Absolutely. Which Their is drive cool. and ambition is very inspiring, yeah. too, is uh, looking at that and being like, okay, what can I also to that so, yeah I and i think too like i mean obviously we had like two three years of like the pandemic and i think that like shook things up a bit too Absolutely. like obviously it was terrible mm-hmm. and obviously it's still a thing and people are still getting sick from covid yes. um but in terms of like fundamental societal level like reshaping mm-hmm. um and i think a lot of people here would be more cynical and like oh we missed the opportunity but i think there was a shift in terms of like people's outlook yeah on things, i agree i would say and like also just the fact that a lot of people's like traditional paths through like like if you're in university during like COVID or in high school like that really shook things up and they yes got, they got screwed over Absolutely. so i think that's you know that can is obviously has a hugely negative um, impacts too, but I think it just like shakes up the status quo a little bit. Yeah, which is like also maybe what we need in a way. Agreed. So like I don't know. I'm very curious to see like the people that are now in like their kind of, like early twenties, yeah, twenties to see how what's going how on, things yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah, how things shake so. up. Absolutely. 
Okay, I guess on that note, we'll go to our last question, which sure. is, what do you envision for the world as it relates to sustainability? It could be five, 10 years from now in the future, but what what are you thinking of and what do you hope will happen? Yeah, obviously a lot of the stuff I'm doing is around like urban design and urban development. So yeah. I've always thought of thought of the way we live day to day is really where you need to to focus in on. Mm-hmm. So a lot of how we like design our cities is hugely impactful. That If we just look at, you know, North America, as an example, we literally designed cities around like post-World War II. Yeah. The car, land was cheap, sprawl, mm-hmm. all these things that are inherently unsustainable and negative on so many other aspects besides just the climate, you know, impacts on health, mental health, social metric. Every basically metric you look at, urban sprawl is like the worst thing for mm-hmm. it. So I think that's where there's going to be and it's been really, really cool to see a lot of this stuff happening. Yeah. More and more people are realizing, oh, the way we live, we don't really need to do that. And it's actually way better for your day-to-day life mm-hmm. to live in, you know, more pedestrianized, more walkable, more sustainable cities, um, greener cities. So I think that's a big thing that's unfolding right now. I think in terms of like... The other thing that I'm, I'm excited by too is, like I was saying, at the... Like all the like clean tech progress yeah. is happening, and like it's crazy. Like the rate, like I don't know if there's another, I guess like AI, but mm-hmm. in terms of like rate of technological progress is happening. Mm-hmm. Obviously AI is like integrated into that, but in terms yeah. of like a sector, like I don't know there's ever actually been a thing that's just seen this much rapid growth. Yeah, fair enough. Because there's literally trillions of dollars being pumped into it. I think where I'm more negative is around like the kind of like international relations behind it all, and like yeah countries like working together i mean if you look at like the ipcc report for example there's like no alignment mm-hmm. between like anyone right. and there's so much like finger pointing and it's like the coordinated global movement as a whole i think is going to be really really hard like Absolutely. if we use like covid as an example like there was no collaboration right like at all that's probably the part that scares me the most is like it's, you know, the ultimate case of the tragedy of the commons, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like we, you, we, every, all these different governments and bodies and regulators and UN and everything has to work together right. to make it happen. But I just really don't see that happening based on the current geopolitical climate. Right. So that's where I think I'm a bit more pessimistic. Yeah. I think like internally, there's a lot of really, co- I honestly think the, the stuff where the coolest stuff is happening is at the local municipal level. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point around like the EU doing stuff really well, like I think that's a good like case yeah. study in terms of like a supranational organization. Yeah. I mean, the EU is very unique. There's not really anything else that exists like that, but is a good example of like accountability around regulations and around around emissions. The geopolitics of climate change are deeply fascinating and complex, and they are. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> like, we have we have leaders like you said. Europe is a uh, it's definitely up there, and I think there's going to be hopefully a shift in North America, and and we'll see what that change looks like. But yeah, I, I agree. I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it's interesting too because you look at China, right? And like historically they were all coal based, mm-hmm. um, and they now have the by far the most investment in renewables, like by any mm-hmm. country, like some close. Yeah, because um, they know it makes sense for multiple reasons. Like a they have historically have had terrible air quality. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge thing. B, they see the opportunity economically. Yeah. And C, they have a massive population that they need to provide energy for. Absolutely. And it's way cheaper to do it with renewables. 
I agree with a lot of your points. I feel like I'm learning as we're chatting too, because you definitely have more of a worldwide perspective, and uh, that's good. I think for our listeners, getting that because there's so much going on. Like you've you've gone through so many things that you just chatted about, and I think there's a lot to kind of research and di- dive deeper on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would definitely recommend just just learn about random stuff. It's yeah. The best way to, yeah. <laughs> just like get go into rabbit holes. Man. Yeah. That's the best way. Yeah. <laughs> just absolutely. pick a thing. Read books. Talk to random people. Good advice. That's that's my uh, that's my record. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. This, this was, was great. Super fun. Yeah, um, yeah we, I'm sure we've all learned a lot. So thank you again.